It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome, and we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, August first, two thousand thirteen. Thank you for being a part of the program. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, good to be with you tonight. Looking forward to our discussion. Uh, as always, we uh, look forward to our Internet Bible study group uh, on Thursday nights, the virtual Bible study. By the way, Jacob, we talked about this last week. Last week, we completed eight years of the virtual Bible study. Tonight's program is the start of year nine. All right. That's so good. sort of I'm a, mile, another, a new milestone. We did we did check our numbers, and we think that is accurate. All right. Well, we're glad you're part of it for, for, for the program tonight. Look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. And joining the chat room with other listeners tonight on the program, we have an interesting program tonight and uh, looking forward to a discussion uh, that you've got lined up here with a gentleman from California. Yes, we've got David Pickup, who's on, I hope, is on the line with us. He me. is on the line. David, can you hear us? Yes. Oh, there you are. Okay. Good. We got David Pickup on the line with us. David is a uh, licensed psychotherapist. He's a family and marriage uh, counselor. He has offices in both Southern California and in the Dallas, Texas area. And I believe you're you're speaking to us tonight from uh, California. Am I right, David? That's it. All right, David. As many of our listeners will recognize your last name, David. Uh, David Pickup. You are one of the sons of Harry Pickup Jr. Your grandfather would have been Harry Pickup Sr. And the Pickups, of course, are well-known gospel preachers. Uh, and, and you also have, uh, or had, uh, we, we learned just a few months ago that one of your brothers, Marty Pickup, passed away. He was also a gospel preacher. Uh, so the Pickup yeah. the pickup name is well-known uh, among members of the Church of Christ. Uh, and uh, you are one of Harry Pickup Jr.'s sons. That's right. All right. You got it. All right. And and uh, as I said, you you are a licensed, uh, uh, the term you use is psychotherapist. And, uh, right. And your, one of your specialties is re- what's called reparative therapy. Now, I think maybe some of our listeners have, have heard that term, but perhaps a number have not. Tell us exactly what reparative therapy is per se. Well, uh, authentic reparative therapy is uh, uh, through psychotherapy, the way that uh, professionals help men and women. Uh, I do mainly men, um, but uh, helps uh, men uh, transition from homosexuality to heterosexuality. And it does that through various methods. And, and, and I'll explain just a bit about it in a, in a short way, and then we can go into longer versions or questions if you want to uh, in a minute. But... Reparative therapy, uh, how it's unique is, is that, it, well, first of all, it, it assumes, because clients tell us this, of course, that homosexuality for them is not something that's naturally inborn or immutable or, you know, unchangeable, but it's something that uh, has deep-rooted emotional causes, usually, we always find, uh, in the formative years, like ages from one and a half to five-ish, sort of right around there. And, and the, to be very simple, Actually, it's too simple of an answer, so I can explain later more about it. But to be too simplistic, I'll just tell you that the the main causes of homosexual feelings tend to be a very severe uh, case of gender identity inferiority that's usually experienced over and over again, tragically, in, now, in very young years. What would that and be, also, David? What would that be, David? Give an explain, uh, sort of an example of what that severe gender identity inferiority would would. How, yeah. how, how, how yeah. does that happen? How does it happen? Well, did you say? Yeah. Well, you say it happens over and over again. What would be some? What would be the ways in which a, a person, a young boy, yeah. for instance, would experience this? Yeah. There's there's many ways. Uh, uh, 
uh, most of the time it happens, or what I hear from clients, it's almost always this way to some degree uh, with almost every client. They come in the office and they're extremely distressed because all their lives they've been uh, bullied by uh, kids when they were very young all the way up to teenage years, and it's made them feel very inferior up in their own gender. Let's say also there's some kind of dynamic uh, within the family relationship uh, from father to son and from son to mother about how usually for some reason, there's a million reasons, but for some reason that the child, the male child I'm speaking of, doesn't feel like he's a real boy or not good enough as a boy. He's very shamed. Sometimes that's through shame-based statements and beliefs that he's kind of bullied into. Sometimes it's not being attached enough emotionally uh, during the uh, gender identity formative years um, uh, to, you know, not close enough to dad. In other words, there's a, a, a real, for whatever reason, there's a real lack of an emotional bond between the two. And for a lot of guys' cases, they go, so, they go away from dad, in a sense, and move to identify more with femininity or, in other words, with mother. And they never kind of make that trip over to in, at least enough identification with you know, a good solid sense of maleness that, that they feel that most boys grow up with, just not even questioning because they're they're so confident in their in their sense of maleness. And when that gets repeated through various bullying experiences and shame based experiences and very much lack of confidence and there's no corrective emotional experience, then they grow up with a, a very severe case of gender identity inferiority. And also, if a company, and there's a second phase where if they don't get enough male emotional needs met, again, during most of these formative years, and those, we often call those the three A's, affirmation of self, uh, approval, which is just another word for unconditional love, and affection. That's the third A, which is usually very important. And that means either emotional and or physical affection, usually both. And when that kind of, I'll just term it male bonding experience isn't felt, and, and when all those things occur or don't occur that I mentioned, a boy ends up objectifying masculinity instead of subjectifying it in his own body. So it, to be short with you, when a, a male child reaches puberty and the sexual hormones start to kick in, if he has felt that masculinity was something that was outside of himself or not he wasn't as good as or it becomes exotic to him, then when the sexual hormones kick in, it becomes erotic instead of exotic. So masculinity becomes an object, something that is experienced outside of himself, because he can't really, doesn't have any know-how, doesn't, doesn't have enough, in other words, uh, security in his own male gender. And so the only way he can get maleness, per se, is in, uh, uh, is in the bodies of other men, uh, who he admires or who he objectifies and ide- or over-idealizes, because it seems to him like, you know, He's, there's something wrong with him, but these other guys who are so athletic usually or nice-looking or very emotionally accepting of him, uh, he might feel, because he's objectified them so much, it, be, it actually turns erotic for all those reasons. And so if, if a guy doesn't, doesn't know how to handle this or if he doesn't know his way out through this, then uh, and if he can't talk to anybody in the church about it, if he can't talk to his parents about it, if he can't talk to his friends about it, then loneliness and shame sets in, and he becomes isolated. And a lot of problems, in addition to the homoerotic impulses, come up, and it can be really extraordinarily painful and tough uh, for, a, for a boy and then a, a guy who doesn't understand himself. And that's how it usually happens. I'm being very generic right now, sure, sure. but that's how it usually happens. And there's one thing I want to impress upon your listeners right from the get-go, because if you don't understand this, you'll never understand the homosexuality, especially for uh, people of faith. You've got to know that underneath all these feelings that are coming up with these boys and, and women, there is always, even if you can't see it, because it's hidden a lot of times, there's always an immense amount of pain that's going through a boy's mind and his feelings. It's just that nobody's talking about it, and he feels trapped. And I, I do want your listeners to, to know that, that there's always an immense amount of pain. And usually when people can see another person's pain, then compassion can take over. And that's how 
not only reparative therapists can help their clients, but, you know, Christians can also with that great understanding. Okay, Je- I know I know you have to be uh, uh, fairly general in these descriptions, but that, that what you said is actually very helpful in understanding. Would would it be true to say that one of the reasons we're hearing more about homosexuality in our generation is because of the breakdown of the family unit and a lot of uh, uh, single mothers are raising sons without very much fatherly influence? Would that increase the probabilities that we're going to uh, experience these issues? I don't have any scientific way of proving that, but in my therapeutic intuition, I would say that's unquestionably a part of it. It's not the whole story, I'll be honest with you, but it is definitely an additional story. Uh, it's a part of the story, I should say. Men, uh, boys need men. Men need men, and they and they need them at the right times of life so they can grow into healthy gender and sexual identity. And when that process is interrupted, it's always painful. It's always a tragedy. And these boys, these men need a lot of help. And, and, you know, men not being in their son's lives, whether that means it's a result of divorce, uh, just distance emotionally, or you know, the breakup of the family, it all contributes to that same thing. Okay. The number to call is 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com if you'd like uh, to talk to David or have a question for him. Patrick in Birmingham, David. Uh, says, do you find that homosexual men often are distrustful of other men and or authority figures in general? I'm sorry, are they what towards other men? Distrustful of them. Do, do not trust other men or oh, yes. authority figures in general. Yes, that's a key. Uh, that's a key to, that's one of the more detailed keys to what I've been talking about. Dr. Nicolosi, who invented the term and the actual authentic processes of reparative therapy, talks about defensive detachment. And there, there's, for whatever, again, for whatever reason, there, there is something that happens that uh, a boy, when he's very young, somehow gets hurt emotionally and usually distances himself from the father because of just a kind of an automatic reaction. And so because of those early hurts or that early, as Nicolosi puts it, defensive detachment emotionally, he uh, develops a kind of a distrust uh, for men, sometimes uh, not every man, but sometimes for you know certain types of men, uh, and then sometimes, yeah, severe cases, all men. So that, that is a factor, sure. And Patrick also says, do you deal with clients who also suffer from gender identity inferiority, but it manifests itself not as homosexuality, but as a simple inability to form or maintain healthy heterosexual relationships? Yeah, it's a great point. I, I love it when somebody asks that question because it's very important to make distinctions. Uh, in my experience, um, that happens absolutely. It happens a lot, probably more than we than we know. And the reason, in, in my opinion, the reason why it happens that way is because usually men who experience or boys who experience that version of the same problem, usually those wounds aren't so injurious to their inner core being or, or rock-bottom identity um, in terms of male identity. Um, uh, their, their issues usually, like in the diagnostic manual, for instance, might make it more clear, in the diagnostic manual for, um, the, the, um, that we use for diagnoses of, of issues, um, they use scaling uh, 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 terms to determine the severity of, of any issue, and, they, and it's very simple. They just call it mild, moderate, or severe. So in my opinion, the guys who don't turn out to have the homosexual problem are they're wounded all right, but it doesn't go quite as deep into their gender identity. So it, it's, it's more of a, believe it or not, it's more of a mild, mild version of, of the same issue. And we need to take a break, but Tim in the chat room asked about lesbians. There's a different uh, underlying cause of that, I understand. Yeah, le- lesbian, now I'm not a, I'm not, um, uh, I don't work very often at all with uh, lesbians because I, frankly, just haven't gotten a lot of calls, uh, but uh, in fact, there's there's uh, another therapist, a female therapist, who uh, a lot of us recommend. Who, if if you need me to recommend her later, I will. But lesbianism is different. Now, it's, some of it's the same because it, it, it it's the same in the sense that there's something disrupted early, early on between mother and daughter. That's clear. But the nature of the feminine role is makes it a little bit different. Uh, with men, boys have to make that extra step into into manhood, but to maleness, but women with mothers, the girls with mothers, they're, they're both 
in a sense, female together. And so there, but there still is uh, something that interrupts the closeness uh, and the emotional bonding with between uh, mother and daughter at, at very early age. And it's usually, again, it's, it's uh, sometimes it's unknown, but it's usually rather traumatic, especially if the child, either male or female, is born, let's say, with a more sensitive kind of emotional makeup. Now, there's one other thing that's more prevalent than it is with boys, although, although sexual abuse does happen to boys, certainly. Um, it's much more statistically part of lesbianism that you find much more sexual abuse by, um, old, uh, by older men onto little girls. It's horrible, it's tragic, but it happens, and that's, it seems to be one more factor more than with boys. Uh, and you might imagine, it's, it's pretty easy, I think, uh, to, to imagine that uh, a little girl who is uh, extremely hurt by sexual abuse is probably going to be somewhat turned off by men when she grows up. That, yeah. that can be also a big factor. I, I, knew a, I knew a psychologist in the past who said when he counsels lesbians, he takes it as a given that if a girl is a lesbian, there was some episode of uh, sexual abuse in the past that turned her that way. He says it's there are exceptions, but they're very rare, and it's almost taken as a given in the case of girls uh, yeah. th- that that's the case. Let when us you, take when it. You, when you come, go ahead, go ahead, David. Well, I was just going to say it's it's not a complete given, but but you know one ought not to be surprised either. So right, go ahead. Okay, we need to take a quick break, and we'll give you time to get your thoughts together uh, for David. If you'd like to give uh, question him, eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Then send your questions in the chat room tonight. Uh, we'll go take a break, and we'll get back. We'll continue our discussion with David about homosexuality and reparative or, uh, therapy. Let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Enjoying the Virtual Bible Study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Do you remember when elders, deacons, preachers, Bible class teachers, and all church members had a strong commitment to the Word? Do you recall when you could always count on book, chapter, and verse preaching from the pulpit? Can you think back to a time when Christians were known as people of the book because they knew their Bible so well? We're trying to be like a church you read about in the Bible, and we're still doing the same things that you remember from way back when. Are you longing for a return for the way things used to be? Come and visit. See for yourself at the College View Church of Christ. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Light is the task when many share the toil. Procrastination is the thief of time. The way to break a bad habit is to drop it. When you meet temptation, turn to the right. It isn't your position in life that counts, it's your disposition. If we could only forget our troubles as easily as we forget our blessings. One of our greatest faults is to be conscious of other people's faults, but not our own. Man, wish I'd said that. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the program tonight talking with David Pickup about reparative therapy, uh, helping homosexuals overcome uh, that sin, and, uh, and, and he counsels them. He's in California tonight talking with us on the program. David, we appreciate your time. I have a quick question. Uh, in Romans chapter sure. 1, David, I'd like your, your comment on this. Uh, you, you you gave us an outline of uh, the process. You see how how young boys are influenced to later become homosexuals. In Romans chapter one, the being overtaken in this sin seems to be the result of a of a process of of turning your back towards God and uh, and uh, and revolting against Him and His instruction. How do you see Romans chapter one uh, and that that progression uh, portrayed in the life of a homosexual? Well, uh, in terms of coming back to God and changing one's uh, changing one's life and, well, and, and not well, and not no, the, the other way around, it seems like it seems that the that God has given them over to homosexuality as a result of them and not liking to retain God in their knowledge, uh, themselves becoming proud and uh, and rejecting Him. Yes, yes, that, that's right. I, I do believe that. You know, if, if we're especially, of course, we would on this show, uh, obviously. Um, in spiritual terms, yes, that's that's what happens. Uh, um, guys, guys, um, although they don't have a, they don't they don't have. It's not that they're choosing these feelings. No one wakes up one day and says, "Hmm, I think I'm going to you know feel homosexual feelings." These feelings come up automatically for the various reasons I've told you. However, where the choice is involved partly is where they if they're going to listen to God's will or not, and if they don't. 
then as as the scripture says, yes, I do believe that God will uh if they refuse to to listen to God, they'll God will give them up to their to their lusts. And of course, you might imagine that those lusts grow and grow and grow and grow over time. And you know, ultimately, the the worst can happen if 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 they're given over to that. Okay. David, tell us real quickly before we go to some more questions from our listeners that are sending in. We've got a live chat room going while we're talking, and we've also got some emails that have come in, so we want to go to those. But tell our listeners a little bit about – I had heard about this. I had no idea you were involved until I corresponded with you by email. Uh, Tell us about the lawsuit going on in California uh, uh, in regards to reparative therapy. Yes, this is the infamous SB 1172. What it is, quite simply, is is it, it is a, well, we've got an injunction until court approval, but technically right now it is a law in California that anyone with a license who conducts therapy with anyone under the age of 18 is breaking the law of California if the point of that therapy reduces or eliminates homosexual feelings. Mm. But what that means is, is that the uh, government has stepped inside the therapist's office and told, even if he's questioning his views, has told the teenager he can't get the therapy that he really wants. He's, he, the government has told parents they cannot uh, even sign a consent form, that they absolutely are breaking the law if they have any kind of, any kind of version of this therapy uh, for, for this issue. And even licensed therapists who happen to be employed by churches, now you're getting into uh, a constitutional problem because you're you're disallowing uh, religious rights because of this law. That's and amazing. It's, so it's it's it's, it's, uh, it's law. It's the uh, the law in California SB 1172 uh, bans all therapies that seek to reduce or eliminate homosexual feelings for minors. That's just incredible. Uh, what do you think? Yeah. Are, what do you think is your success? Uh, in winning that lawsuit to to overthrow the law? Well, we're cautiously optimistic. I'm the lead plaintiff in the lawsuit. That's why it's called Pickup versus Brown. That means Governor Brown. Yeah. So now there's there's other um there's other entities like the well known NARS organization and other individual plaint- uh, plaintiffs, the clients who are minors and their parents, their their names are kept secret confidential. Uh but we're expecting any day now uh a ruling it we're cautiously optimistic, but I have to tell you, anything could happen. Yeah. And let me tell you, let me tell you something that's truly horrible. What these, what these lawmakers, even though they were told by me personally, even that something they didn't think of, which they disregarded, was because of this law. Think about the victims of Jerry Sandusky, or some of the some of the tragic. Um, sexual abuse going on in some of the religious circles like the Catholic Church and priests and sexual abuse of boys. What this law means is, is that when um, every good therapist knows that sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes uh, homosexual feelings arise within a boy who's been sexually abused. So what that means is a sexually abused boy goes to a therapist in California and says, look, I know that this, these feelings are coming up for one reason at least, because I was sexually abused, and the therapist literally has to tell them unless he's breaking unless he wants to break the law, I can't help you. Yeah, so and he's so, so he's got he's got some 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 feelings he's dealing with. He's concerned about it. Uh he wants to talk about it. Uh, he, he and but you couldn't talk to him without breaking the law in California. I, and I he, can't well I can, I can talk to him about it, but I can't do anything that seeks to reduce or eliminate that's a quote homosexual feelings. So he's a victim uh, no twice. What the reason. So what happens is the state of California, the governor who signed this ridiculous law, and the person who invented this law, which is Senator Liu, um, are become complicit in the furthering of sexual abuse onto the little child. And that is un- insufferable. It is amazing. Just amazing. Um, I do want to get to these questions, but what we haven't heard yet, David, is Tell us, and again, I'm sure you have to be very general in, uh, to, because I'm, I'm absolutely confident it's a very large subject, but what approach, what, what does the therapy involve? Okay, we, we, we talk about what maybe causes 
these homosexual feelings in boys. What do you do as a therapist? What kind of things do you try to uh, work on, and what what uh, what what does the therapy involve, basically? Let me just tell you the basis basis how it works. All right, this is it, this, and this is also how unique, authentic reparative therapy is. And by the way, there's a lot of junk out there that's called reparative therapy, and it isn't. But what it is is this: the first goal of reparative therapy is, first of all, to remove any and all shame for having homosexual feelings, because that clears the way for a door to be opened to where the wounds really are. In other words, if you're too ashamed of what you're feeling, you'll never get to where the real problems are. So we remove that. And then we deal with the grief and the pain and the gender insecurity uh, and break through those shame-based messages. And there's a lot of grief, but it's healing type of grief. It is better to go to to the house of mourning type of thing, like the Old Testament says. So the boy or the man grieves his losses and he understands what he truly needs. Instead of an erotic version of these male needs, he understands in a deeply felt way that he's never felt before. We access the emotional body work. All, that's, just a, that's just a fancy term for revealing what he's truly feeling underneath all this repressed stuff. And when he comes up out of this grief, naturally, his self-esteem goes up, especially in his male gender identity. His depression or anxiety, if he's got it, goes down. And his and this is the, this is a big key here that not not many people know or realize. When he comes up out of this, time after time after time, you might imagine it takes a while for this all to you know kick in fully enough. But time after time, what happens in the end is that his homosexual feelings, because of all this deep emotional work, naturally, spontaneously, lessen and dissipate, and his heterosexual potential is maximized. Now, that's still a short version, but that's the basis of what reparative therapy really is and what happens in my office every day. So would it be, excuse me, Jacob, would it it be, would there be any similarity to the idea of of, uh, alcoholics and treatment for alcoholism? They got to first admit that they are and and before they can deal with it. And so, yeah, completely the same, but, but there are definitely some of the same principles involved. That's right. In other words, every, I believe that that uh, underneath many, many alcoholics, uh, maybe I, I assume all of them, uh, there are some root causes for that that involve a lot of grief, uh, a lot of things that sometimes aren't even remembered, uh, a lot of repressed emotions, and we get to those roots. And frankly, a lot of things are healed, uh, and, and the person feels better and more alive and, and is able to move on with his life and much less subject to whatever he's going through uh, as a result of therapy, whether that's homosexual feelings or whether that's alcoholism or, or drug use or what have you. Now, Timothy in the chat room uh, calls you uh, to question here, David, on this, uh, this approach because he says, shouldn't we be ashamed of sin? Homosexuality is a sin. I think you may be distinguishing here between the the um, the feelings or the temptation and and the act of, of homosexuality. Is that correct? Oh, I'm, oh, I'm so glad you're asking that question. I get that question all the time, and yes, I'm absolutely distinguishing between the two. In other words, uh, I think as Christians we have to make the distinction between those two things because the Bible the Bible is clear on that. For instance, let me give you a scenario: if if the temptation itself is sinful then we're all lost, because Jesus was tempted. And so I'm talking about feelings when I'm talking about temptations. I'm not talking about active acting out on those feelings. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yes, that's yeah. a good point. Would it be similar, I mean, for a heterosexual man, I mean, he has uh, temptations to think of women. He has to discipline himself and not act out on those temptations. Right. And so a, he- a homosexual man... He, he has a different set of feelings, but he also has to discipline himself in regards to them. Am I correct? Yes. Yes, absolutely. There's no question. And, you, and, you, I mean, that's, that's biblically consistent, of course. And sure. what, is, what is the effect of the homosexual community, David, uh, telling uh, young people that if you have these feelings, you are homosexual? How does that play into this uh, development of, of the, these people acting out these behaviors? When, they're, when, they feel, when they have these feelings and they're told by educators and by the media that if you have these feelings, then you are homosexual, how does that come into play? 
Well, it comes into play every day because that's how the homosexual agenda, which has been enforced for about 40, 50 years, has, has kind of gotten away with this. They assumed, even though the science doesn't support this, the evidence, the research doesn't support that there's any gay or inborn genetic process for this. And yet they will react as though, to, in my opinion, to preserve their position, that just because you have a homosexual feeling, that means you're gay. But that's not true. There actually is a very distinct difference between being gay and homosexual. Homosexual just means you have the feelings. Uh, and you may or may not do anything with those feelings. Gay means you've adopted that completely as an identity and that you believe it's naturally inborn and unchangeable. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. Can you stick no with gene. Okay. Can you stick with us through one more 15-minute se- segment, David? I'm sorry. What was that? Can you stay with us for another segment? If you have the time. Another, we, we, yeah, we, 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 yes, we, I have another I have another 15 minutes. Yeah. All right. That'd thanks, Dave. We'll be right back. All right. Let's take a break, and we'll get this week's bullet point. We'll continue with David on the other side. An interesting discussion. We hope you'll stay tuned and send in your thoughts. 877-381-4567. There's a discussion going in the chat room. You want to be there. Patrick and Timothy are talking about whether or not it's a, a sin to have homosexual feelings. We can talk about that on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Someone suggested that while there are many different kinds of jobs, they could all be broken down into two categories. First, the kind of job where you shower after you finish working, and secondly, the type of job where you shower before you go to work. Obviously, the first sort of job involves more intense physical effort, the kind where you really work up a sweat. This put us to thinking about Christians and their level of activity in the kingdom of Christ. Some are very hard at work, doing all they can for the Master. They study hard, pray frequently, attend faithfully, and teach others at every opportunity. They are the ones who step up when volunteers are needed to teach classes or do some chores around the church building. They visit the sick, reach out to the lost, and support the weak. They love the Lord, their brethren, and the lost, and they roll up their sleeves and do the work necessary in all of those realms. These are the ones that serve as the real backbone of any congregation. Without them, the church would suffer, shrivel, and finally die. Such workers are truly needed and much appreciated. May their tribe increase. Sadly, other Christians are not so energetic when it comes to working for the Lord. They attend services, but not too faithfully. They are not great Bible students and rarely spend time in prayer. They don't try to reach the lost, and they seldom reach out to even their own brethren. These lukewarm Christians are certainly not working up a sweat in the kingdom and need to be reminded of how the Lord views such mediocre performance. Jesus said, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Revelation chapter 3, beginning verse 15. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Arthur Haynes from Coleoka, Tennessee, and one of my greatest highlights of the week is to listen to the virtual Bible study. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And welcome back to the program. We remind you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. We're talking with David Pickup about uh, reparative therapy, counseling homosexuals out of homosexuality. David has offices in Los Angeles and in Dallas. Let me give you uh, the web page for his practice. Uh, if you're interested in contacting him, David Pickup, lmft.com. So that's David Pickup. LMFT.com, and and I'm sure you can reach him there uh, and get all the contact information. Uh, David, you've been on the Dr. Drew show. You've been on CNN. You've been on a lot of other radio shows and and been interviewed by newspapers. We're glad to have you tonight on the virtual Bible study. Let let us go to some of the questions we're getting. uh, one qu- one person in our chat room simply said, what kind of success rate are you having? Another, a listener from uh, uh, England wrote, is your success rate comparable to the supposed 30% rate of some secular psycho- psychological methods? He says, is yours a version of biblical counseling or how does it differ from uh, secular psychological methods? Um, uh, I, I heard two questions, one a percentage of, of success and right. one about the difference between spiritual and regular counseling. Is that correct? Correct. Okay, so let me answer the first one. Um, uh, psychology will never, until we can put human beings in test tubes, psychology will always be a soft science. Now, we try to be as rigorous in science as we can, so when I say about 30%, you got to know that those are soft figures. 
different men's experiences are different. Sometimes men and, and different success stories are defined by the individual client. There's some clients who believe they're a success because they have really just naturally evolved out of their homosexual feelings, but neither they go towards women. There are another. There are a lot of other guys who uh, truly want to be in love with women. Let's say they had them before and they resolve those issues, and they're now married and have happy families and, and have children. So it's hard to categorize everything. But yes, in my opinion, about thirty, uh, about thirty-three percent, somewhere around there, uh, is the the success rate. But don't let don't let my encouragement is to not let um, percentages tell the whole story. It's not the whole story at all. Now the, the second the second question is is that um, uh, it's true? What's that? I was going. To, I was just going to repeat the question. How's how's your therapy different from, say, a counselor who's just purely a secular counselor? It's 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 very very different. I have found, although there's some good things, of course, that that special especially I've found spiritual counselors do. I what I have found the biggest difference, and it's unfortunate. I don't think it's un, intentional in any way, but it, it is unfortunate in my experience, at least, that a lot of spiritual counseling doesn't go deep enough into the emotional wounds. They go more into uh, repentance and how to abstain from behaviors, and there's nothing wrong with that. All I'm saying is that there is a huge add-on that an expert in uh, in this therapy that really causes the dissipation of the temptation itself is really necessary. And that's why people are needed. In fact, we're looking for more and more people who want to be reparative therapists um, uh, to really help heal the emotional wounds. And that's how, uh, that's how it's different usually. It shouldn't be that way in my opinion, but that is how it's different currently between secular and, and, and uh, what one might call Christian counseling or Christian therapy. The so wounds you, really aren't resolved enough, in other words. So you really think it takes both? In other words, I got to understand if I'm if I'm dealing with this, I've got to understand the roots of it, and then I've also got to be taught how to how to stop it. In other words, you can't just focus on the stopping uh, the the conduct without understanding the root causes of it. Right. Unfortunately, you're exactly right. Unfortunately, I find that to be the case, Uh, and that's why I also uh, you know teach online courses to ministers or church leaders about these kinds of things. I also teach licensed therapists, you know, uh, the, the secular version, if you will, of reparative therapy. And, and I will say this. I want your listeners to know this, if I may. Um, it is amazing how, even though it wasn't intentionally done this way, it's amazing how reparative therapy is so complementary to sound biblical principles. It's just amazing. And it helps because 99% of the men who come to me are usually what I would call men of faith. So it works very well in tandem with with spiritual counseling as well. Okay. Also from England, the question is asked, how would you respond to those who say you shouldn't confront or challenge people's leadings and that they can't be changed? I missed part of that. Can you repeat the question? Okay, so, so he says, how would you respond to someone who says that you should not confront or challenge people in the, if they have these feelings and that they can't be changed? Um, if, if I understand the question correctly, uh, I never in a negative way confront or challenge anybody. The client comes to me saying, look, this isn't something that's inborn in me at all. Uh, I know that it has causes. I can feel it's not, I don't really identify with this. And also they, they know, because they're usually men of faith, that the, the Bible says this isn't really what man was supposed to do, so it doesn't fit their faith as well. So I, I don't confront, in a, in a, if that's what the caller meant, I, I don't confront or coerce or anything like that. Um, if a guy does come to me and says, um, I know I was born this way, uh, you know, don't try to change me. I have to take them. I, I'm, I'm ethically bound to, of course, I'm not going to coerce him into anything. I'm not going to challenge him and be negative with him. I'm going to show him as much uh, unconditional positive regard and love as, as, I, as I can. He has to make his own choices in life. Would you, would you though, would you try to uh, engage him in such a way to, help, to, to change his opinion about being born that way, not able to change oh. and so forth? Great question. Only if he asked me what my opinion was. Uh, because I found when uh, anybody 
just tries to convince, we'll say, a gay guy what he's already been convinced of. It was the opposite view. He'll take it usually in a very shame-based or uh, feel like he's being attacked. And so I don't want to risk that. So I, I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't go there. It's just a personal choice. Okay. All right. I have a question. Um, you know, we teach a lot about and preach lessons about uh, not committing uh, heterosexual fornication, uh, not uh, doing other things. Uh, David, in your mind, should we be teaching and preaching about how to uh, avoid homosexuality in uh, today's culture where it's so prevalent? Sure, you bet. And what I hope to goodness that preachers will start doing, this is why I'm talking on shows like this now, uh, is start talking about the pain. Uh, and emotional difficulties uh, that are underneath these feelings. So people will understand and have compassion. Uh, the homosexual people, uh, let's face it, I, I know we're talking about sin here, but let's face it, homosexual people are, have been some of the most abused people there's ever been. Uh, and, uh, and we need to understand the heart and soul of what's really going on. And I would say that about anybody who's in any kind of... Um, any other uh, egregious uh, or grievous uh, sin, we, we need to truly understand them and not only do the other right part, which is uh, hopefully convict them of God's will and repentance and that thing. It, 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 we need to go deeper than that. Uh, okay. Uh, so, so many questions come to mind. We're getting a lot of questions coming up in our chat room. Aaron, who I think is in Singapore. <laughs> Aaron, who is in Singapore on the other side of the world, asked, I understand that Jesus said that looking on a woman to lust after her is a sin, but is this not saying that generic sexual feelings themselves are wrong? When the feeling leads to looking on a woman with intent to lust, that is feeding the desire. And, I, I, and now, This is part of a bigger discussion that's in the chat room, David. I don't know if you're in, you can see it or not, but there, there's a bigger discussion about is having a homosexual temptation a sin? And a lot of folks are saying that it is. Uh, my my uh, understanding of it, I think yours would be as well, David, having the temptation is not a sin. When we act upon that temptation, that's when it is sin, and that's when you become a homosexual. You're not a homosexual just because you may have a temptation. That's right. You're absolutely right. I mean, I, I do respect anybody's viewpoint. They, they're entitled to their viewpoint. But if you reason from the Scripture and you really take into account the context and, and the very life and temptations of Jesus— you just, in my opinion, you just have to arrive at the point, ultimately. Uh, certainly worth thinking about for a while. Well, for uh, that, uh, Temptation is not the same thing as sin. It's really close. In the very next moment, somebody actually may very actively lust in their heart, which is sinful, or act out physically uh, uh, in a homosexual way. But the temptation is different from sin. I'll remind you of, um, of God's great warning to... Um, uh, uh, Adam and Eve's Cain and Abel. He 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 warned Cain that his his murderous feelings. He was going to make an immense mistake, which we all know he 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 made finally, and he killed his brother. But but from the context, you know, God just warned him. He didn't say he sinned because he was tempted to kill his brother. That, in my opinion, the Bible is full of examples of the difference between temptation and actual sin. It's just that we never look at it that way very often. But Timothy in the chat room says, being attracted to someone of the opposite sex is not a sin. Being attracted to the same sex is a sin because it is unnatural from the Bible. I would challenge Tim on that because being attracted to someone who's not your wife uh, is uh, would be, I mean, if you, if you, if you have feelings that if you... If you act upon that temptation. Upon that, yeah. No, and, and the acting upon the temptation could right. be uh, a, a, a lustful longing for i right. mean you wouldn't have to physically act out but if you had a a, right. a, a a lustful longing for this other woman in other words you could be te- heterosexual men who are we kidding heterosexual men are tempted yes just like homosexual men are tempted it's when you act upon the temptation that you commit a sin that's right uh, would that's you agree? Right. okay I mean, yeah absolutely I, there's no question i mean i i again i i do understand why people feel that way i, I think one reason is because they're so horrified by homosexuality and i, I understand that 
you just can't. You just can never. How can one actually come to the decision that temptation is the same thing as sin? It just doesn't work. Yeah, what about about doesn't. what about the person who's tempted to lie and he's in a, a tough situation? He's tempted to lie, but he doesn't. Does that mean he was a liar because he was in a situation he was tempted to lie? Well, Hebrews four fifteen right. says Jesus was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. Temptation exactly. is not sin. Um, uh, we're, we we have kept you longer than we than we promised we would. Tim, David Tim asked Timothy asked the question, "What about the unnatural aspect in which it is mentioned in the Bible?" Well, that is true, but it's the act that's unnatural and and the lusting as well. But uh, this the temptation is not a sin. All right, okay, uh, David. What uh, is is the real quickly a couple of my questions uh, is the openness of, of the homosexual society is it making more people in other words, it, since it's so out there now, it used to be taboo. Now it's not. Is it making more people uh, tempted toward acting out upon these feelings? Yes, I think that's obvious. I mean, okay. you only have history to look at this. Um, you know, uh, in the time of the Greeks and the Romans, homosexuality was actually, uh, for much of the time, very commonplace. And it, it, if what I'm saying is true that homosexuality is not inborn and natural, but yet it is actually has a cause, there's a cause and effect nature to homosexuality, then that demands the inference that uh, homosexuality can kind of catch on, so to speak, and it can grow. And yes, I think it's a major problem from that standpoint as well. All right, what about, and one more question, what about the brazenness of, of the gay and lesbian uh, community in our modern day? Uh, what, what do you think is behind that? Uh, is it a pushback to the, uh, you said earlier, uh, homosexual people have been badly mistreated uh, historically. You think that what we're seeing now in, in just the sort of overt brazen uh, conduct of many of these gays and lesbians, is that a pushback to the treatment they've had historically? Yes, I, I believe it is. Now, it's our own version, in my opinion, but essentially it is. Uh, um uh, the the uh, one of the largest reasons why it's come up in this world today, especially in America, is because homosexual men and women have been told they've been sick and have been beaten and tortured, and they've been uh, told that they're the most horrible people in the world. They've been shamed to death practically, instead of uh, approached in ways that are profoundly uh, 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 attempting to uh, achieve righteousness within that person to turn to God, but also in, in ways that are truly understanding. And so they develop their own communities in order to protect themselves. And there's a part of that which I can see makes sense, because they've been so uh, treated so. So I, I kind of think um, it's a little bit like Jesus and the uh, approaching the publicans and sinners. You know, he, he I'm convinced he was trying to get them to come to him, no matter who were those publicans or sinners, or whatever the nature of their sins were, but uh, he, he wanted them to come to him in, in righteousness and be free from their sin, but he went right into them, and I'm sure didn't hate them into, or shame them into righteousness. I kind of think he probably loved them into righteousness, into a relationship. I've, I've said lots of times, David, I, I can understand a man who commits heterosexual sin. I mean, I, I, it's not right, but I can understand the, the, the thought process that might lead to that. I can't understand the homosexual mentality or the thought process that leads to that. What would you recommend to us as Christians? We want to reach out to these people, try to lead them uh, to change their lives, to, to repent, to be right with God. Uh, how, what would you suggest to us, in other words, someone like me who has trouble understanding this, this feeling, these lifestyles, what do we do to try and be more helpful I have a specific suggestion, and it's really mostly what I said before. You first got to be educated. You've got to understand the pain these guys are going through underneath all this. You'll never have compassion for them if you don't really get that. And once you've got that knowledge, once you have researched that a bit, or, or at least thought about it for a while, and then if someone, uh, if someone, and if you're talking about especially the cases where a man or a woman comes to you and says, this is what I'm dealing with, don't sit in judgment. Understand that they've got a heart that needs Jesus and who needs righteousness and to turn his life around, but he also needs the kind of love that Jesus uh, shows the, the, uh, what you might even call the worst of sinners. So if you 
can be Jesus to them, in a sense, and show them love and righteousness, then you will you will come a long way to convince them to turn their uh, life around to God. And you also may be a party to help, even without knowing it, help heal those wounds of gender identity inferiority, uh, the, heal those wounds of the, the grave uh, bereft of uh, affection and affirmation and approval uh, that they that most men just completely missed. Uh, so give them that. Okay. Give them approval. Give them affirmation. Give them affection. And, and see how they respond to you. Don't sit in judgment and watch how they will respond to love. Okay. And righteousness. All right. David, what's uh, David? final message you'd give to those who are struggling with this uh, temptation tonight that may be listening? Here it is. There is hope to truly change. You, you may not rid yourself of every temptation for the rest of your life, but there are hundreds of men that the media is not telling you who have truly experienced real emotional change, not just behavioral change, through reparative therapy. And it's going to co- if you if you know that, then there's also a greater hope in the love of Christ and to and to live in righteousness and and uh, the happiness and the wholeness that you'll feel and the love that you'll get from other men actually in life is out there for you if you just reach out. And uh, David, uh, does someone need to be in California or Texas in order to uh, utilize your services? No, um, uh, as you might or might not know, I, I don't know. Uh, the uh, therapy world is now very advanced, and uh, uh, therapy via live video sessions through Skype or FaceTime is very available. They're very effective. It's not for everybody, but they are very effective. I have a lot of, I have a lot of clients um, who, who do this, so that's, that's a real possibility. Uh, but, you know, if you're in Texas, though, or in uh, L.A., uh, the place, the, the, the better thing probably would be to do, to, you know, is to contact me and, and uh, actually do face-to-face. So, All right. All right, David, thank you for your time. Sorry we kept you longer than anticipated, but uh, your right. information is very valuable. We appreciate uh, you spending some time with us tonight on the virtual Bible study. Thank you so much. I'm so honored by thank your show and what you've said. Thank you very much. Thank you, David. All right, the website address is David Pickup. LMFT.com if you're interested in contacting David. All right, and if you don't get that and you need to contact, you can, you can always email me and, and uh, at collegeview.com and we can get you that contact All information. Right, really appreciate David for his insight. You want to skip the last break? We've only yeah, got uh, yeah, we've, seven yeah, minutes to yeah, go. Yeah, let's so skip this well. last break and let's, let's pick up some of the emails. Well, the and chat room has been on fire. It has been a huge discussion about whether or not being tempted uh, in homosexual ways is a sin. And uh, I just have to say, if it's a sin to be tempted in homosexual ways, it's a sin when you're tempted in anything else. That's what else. I think. I don't see how you can, I don't see, I mean, any, any t- temptation, by definition, is to do something We're wrong. We're not talking about dwelling on it or, or lustful yeah, yeah. thoughts. We're just talking about the temptation or the urge. In other words, it, it, someone, it, the, the gist of the argument in the chat room was to have the feeling is wrong. Well, it's wrong to have the feeling to steal something. Right. That's what temptation is, is to have a feeling to do something wrong. Right. It's, it's wrong to have a feeling to, to be with a woman who's not your wife. Right. It's wrong to have a feeling that I might lie in order to make some money. Uh, you know, that's what temptation is, is the, is the feeling that I might like to do something wrong. Right. I'm tempted. But when right. I turn away from that, when I don't dwell on it. Now, you don't have to, you don't have to. To physically commit the sex act with a woman, if you're a heterosexual man, you don't have to physically commit the sex act to sin. You can sin by dwelling right. on it, lusting, the lusting right. after her. Uh, same with the homosexual. Same with the homosexual. But but temptation temptation is not sin, else Jesus was a sinner. Hebrews 4, verse 15 says Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He was tempted but didn't sin. So temptation is not sin. And I think you've got to really stress that based upon some of the things I've been able to pick up. I haven't been able to watch the chat room real closely. Yeah, right. Uh, so, yeah, so let, let's uh, – Tim asked a question. So should we pray for forgiveness for those things? Not if it's just a temptation. If you're dwelling on it and lusting and thinking about how you could fulfill uh, that desire, then, yes, you should uh, ask for forgiveness of that. But if you've just been tempted, uh, there is no sin in being tempted. Otherwise, uh, then, uh, then, as you said, Jesus was a sinner. Okay. 
Uh, we asked the question earlier today to our update list. Tim uh, wants to say, uh, should we pray for forgiveness for the thoughts? If you're th- again, if you're thinking on acting out on the temptation, then yes, you've sinned. You're lusting. But if it's just a temptation where it's just an opening that Satan could use, then that's not a sin. In other words, you, 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 you realize that you were tempted, you turned away from it. Right. Just like I might see a woman uh, and, and have a thought about that woman, but I, I, I refuse to have that thought. I turn away from those thoughts. Uh, the temptation was there, but I didn't act upon it. I didn't think about it. I right. turned away from it. I didn't sin. Right. I was tempted. I didn't sin. Right. Uh, I, just don't, I, don't, I don't think there would be any. I think those are directly parallel things. Let's look at James chapter 1. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. There's that, uh, that opening, that desire. And when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Now, when did sin enter the equation? It wasn't when he was tempted. It was when he allowed that temptation to direct dwell his, his heart. Yeah, to dwell in his heart, and it gives birth to sin. So I would say that James chapter 1 uh, shows us the distinction there. All right. Uh, in the chat room, there are some specific questions uh, that, we, that we didn't get to ask, uh, and, and some of them are quite explicit questions, in fact. And uh, we would encourage you, if you, if you need follow up on the, on some of those answers uh contact david pickup uh, david pickup lmft.com i think licensed uh, marriage family therapy is yeah, what that may stand for i think so uh real quickly uh, we asked the question what what are the causes of homosexuality do you believe people are born that way uh chris in uk says i believe it's a learned behavior we think so too he says, I base this on the fact that the following can't be true. No researcher or research could either stand up to scrutiny or be replicated could prove a genetic link. Also, people, when asked about their preference, say it's learned. Only about 9% of homosexuals say they were born that way. Uh, also, older homosexuals approach younger and experiences from youth shape the behavior of the adult they become. Uh, I think that's true. If homosexuality is genetic, how logically is it passed on? Uh, as by definition, it is a sterile lifestyle. In other words, if it is if it is genetic, why didn't it die out a long time ago? Right, I think that's right. a legitimate argument. Okay. Uh, Aaron in Singapore says, to answer this question, in other words, are you born that way? We must absolutely be clear what we mean when we say homosexuality. The source of homosexual desires is complicated. I don't know enough to say that I can define where they originate. These desires have a basis that is at least partially biological. However, that desire by itself is simply temptation, not sin. The sin is to act upon that desire and commit homosexual acts, and of course that's the that's the discussion that has been ongoing in the in the chat room. Uh, if we use the term homosexuality to refer to both the temptation and the sin, then we sow confusion when we say that it's wrong. The temptation is no more sinful than the temptation to lie or steal or commit heterosexual adultery. It's simply a desire we must overcome. We must not let it develop even into lust of the kind Jesus described in Matthew five twenty eight. Very good. Aaron had a longer email there. Uh, I think you got one from Patrick in Patrick, your inbox there as well. Patrick uh, has sent in a, a longer one. I'm not going to be able to get to near all of that. He says, I do not believe that anyone is born with the homosexual desires or born destined to develop them. I do think that some people are naturally born with certain tendencies of personality which make them more susceptible than others to the to the external influences which could lead them to develop homosexual desires. I would agree that's right. You know, all of us have have weaknesses. I, I'm more tempted towards some things than you are. Right. You are tempt- more tempted towards some things than I am. Right. And so that we all have unique personalities and we have our own unique weaknesses so i I would agree with with patrick about that i'm sorry i can't get to more of of the very long uh thoughts he had on that uh uh i just can't get to it we're just out of time jacob we are it's amazing we are already out of time that's uh that's good uh we've got some emails here from uh, bob in uh indiana we didn't get to that but i think we answered yeah we uh, answered his email uh keith in uh hendersonville tennessee we didn't get to his um so good discussion tonight the chat room has been a buzz and we missed we hope you enjoyed the chat room we hope you enjoyed the insights that david uh pickup uh provided to us it's obviously an important question. I think we need to be well-informed about it. We're going to deal with it more and more, it seems like, in our society. Well, and David does maybe give us some insight on the uh, way to approach uh, these people rather than maybe some of the approaches that may naturally come about, maybe a different approach that uh, could be more effective. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, 
uh, that's a good discussion. Dad, thank you for your time. Thank you, Jacob. And uh, Jeff's been behind the controls. Jeff, thank you for being here. We didn't get to talk to you at all, Jeff. I didn't even get to hardly look at you. We were so busy tonight, but thank you for being here. And uh, thank you for uh, your participation on the program. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Again, if you want to contact David Pickup, davidpickuplmft.com. And if you want to contact us about anything you've heard tonight, if you'd like to discuss this with us further, we welcome your thoughts and your comments, questions at collegeview.com. If you have any suggestions for future editions of the Virtual Bible Studies, for topics or questions you'd like addressed, again, the email address is questions at collegeview.com. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.